Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. I'm back. I am back from my holidays and do you know what? I feel like I could do a whole podcast episode just about going on holiday, which I probably will do actually. It was, do you know what? Given how much I was worried about going, I actually feel like it was a lot easier to be a mum and have a baby on holiday than it is back at home. I feel like it's been harder to adjust back to normal life. Like we were all inclusive in Mauritius and even just for like not having to think about the whole weaning process it was amazing and I came back and I was like mashed banana again for you at breakfast <laughs> so yeah it, it it was great and like I said I, I definitely want to talk about the holiday in on its own episode really because I'm sure that a lot of you want tips and tricks but I'm really grateful to everyone who reached out and um told me what to pack and what not to pack and we definitely packed above and beyond like I probably didn't need the portable blender given that the hotel uh, made all the food but it was amazing and actually I won't lie since being back it's been really hard I know I've talked about this a little bit on social media but I think when I went away there's this well it's escapism a holiday isn't it so you go away and you're like things will be better when I'm on holiday like I'll enjoy it more when I'm on holiday and that will fix me and I did I did feel better like we had Tommy's parents there for the first 10 days and that was amazing because I mean a to hang out with them and have that like solid time Alf loved having his grandparents there and his uncle and then when they left it was still really nice but also Tom and I took advantage of the hotel crash for the first time. So we managed to have dinner on our own. We climbed a mountain. So it was so nice to have that option. But to be honest, like even having Tom around in the day, because obviously normally he's working, it, it just felt like a lot of the pressure was off. So then when I came back, I just went, like I basically just had this like huge low and it made me like, really resent motherhood I went through this real thing I say went as if it's in the past tense but um, it's Monday today when I'm recording and I've only really just started to feel better after this weekend and a big part of it was actually chatting to Tom and I was like I just miss us I miss like not having to talk logistics not having to just think about the baby all the time which I mean it sounds so selfish because obviously Alf is like 
the greatest little thing. Like when he goes to sleep, we are like, we miss him. Like he's been so joyful, especially now he is in the stage where he's starting to do things back. There was a lot first on holiday. So if you say, what do the wipers do? He'll do like the swish, swish, swish. We sing the wheels on the bus a lot. He started clapping. He started imitating. So we get so much joy from him. But I was like, I just miss us, you know. And so I thought I would talk a little bit about relationships and sex because I feel like it's this weird taboo, isn't it? It's so funny that you have a baby by sex, but yet nobody really talks about sex. And let's be honest, like pregnancy and postnatal, like you never see your body change so much. And I know from speaking to friends, like people feel very differently. Like some people have no have no sex life no sex life or sex drive in their pregnancy, whereas some people do it all the time. And you know, even that that very like final stage of pregnancy when people are like oh you get the baby out from sex and I was like I honestly couldn't have thought for anything worse at that point in my pregnancy so yeah really interesting topic quite a taboo topic I feel really like nervous and jittery which is silly so I'm putting that aside to welcome today's guest I am so excited about today's guest and actually weirdly nervous about the topic, which is mad because why is it difficult to talk about relationships and specifically sex, especially after having a baby? Because let's be honest, that is how babies are made. But I'm very, very excited to have on today's show Kate Moyle. She is an accredited psychosexual and relationship therapist and certified psychosexologist who specialized in working with those who are struggling with difficulties in their sex life and sexuality, including those in their 20s and 30s who are impacted by the stresses of modern life. Uh, She is the host of the Sexual Wellness Sessions podcast, and her goal is to help clients come to a better understanding of their sexual and relationship difficulties to work towards the sex lives they want, Uh, which let's be honest, after becoming parents I think that's what we all want and strive for because there is so much change Kate thank you so much for being uh, this week's guest thank you so much for having me on um as I was you know just saying to you really passionate about this and I think for me the, the first thing is we when it comes to new parents or mums is we try and teach about everything to do with this and we talk about breastfeeding, we talk about weaning, we talk about first aid courses, about sleep and everything. And then the only thing we don't talk about is sex. Why do you think we find it so hard to talk about sex in the context of pregnancy and postnatal life? I think there's like a certain, <laughs> there's a certain irony, isn't it? Because as you said, sex is the way that most of us have our babies or get pregnant in the first place. And I remember someone always saying to me, it's so strange that people say congratulations. And basically what they're saying congratulations for is you had unprotected sex. When <laughs> we don't celebrate that in any other area of our life. It's so funny. I, I always think this about the phrase, are you trying for a baby? Because usually yeah. it's like, it's older people that ask you. So say like your in-laws and they'll be like, are you trying? Are you trying? And we're like, we're trying really hard. We're trying day <laughs> and night. <laughs> we're really trying. <laughs> Yeah, but if you said, yes, we're having unprotected sex, everyone would be horrified. But I think Esther Perel, who is the kind of queen in my world, talks about how, why is it that sex makes babies and babies 
ruin sex lives. And I think that there's something in the lack of conversation around it that also sits in the who is meant to be having these discussions. So it's not our midwives, it's not our GP, it's not our NCT classes, it's not our partners, it's not previous mothers. So there's this kind of blind spot where sex doesn't really fit into the parameters of anyone who's teaching us. And we do need, well, I certainly did, teaching about how to kind of be a parent with a new baby. And I think it kind of falls through the falls through the gaps and is a blind spot. And that leaves people really poorly equipped to know what to do with their postnatal sex lives or how to have postnatal sex lives or what to expect or what might be different. And that's just really problematic for a lot of people. I think as well, isn't it? It's the the difficulty in communication. So I feel like having a baby or being pregnant, there's so many changes that are going on, like both mentally and physically. And I don't know if it is like oh, like a prudish culture, but why why is it that it, it, it's not an easy thing to communicate between partners? I, I actually put on my Instagram that I was um, going to be chatting with you and so many people messaged saying, how can I tell my partner that I have no sex drive. How can I tell my partner that it, I have, have pain during sex? How can I tell my partner that I feel guilty that I don't want sex? And it's interesting, isn't it? Because that should be, in theory, like a really easy conversation, but it's something that we don't, like we just don't feel comfortable talking about sex. Mm, absolutely. And I think it's always been the case, and we have this really polarized view of sex, which is kind of good sex and bad sex as well. So good sex historically has been in a relationship or in a marriage or in a, some kind of commitment and that bad sex is something that's outside of that. And I think that we have this problem across the board with sex, which is why as psychosexual therapists, we are quite honestly inundated with people who really need somewhere to go and talk about this stuff, someone to talk about what they're struggling with, who they know that they can. And we have this kind of image of relationships I do think it's changing very much for the better that they just work and they just happen and that we shouldn't have to put a lot of effort into it that we shouldn't have to intentionally have sex and it's just it's just not the way it is and we understand from research and desire that that really isn't the case but nobody likes to kind of admit that they have to work on that bit and we kind of feel like if we're with the right person, inverted commas, that all of that stuff should just be happening with no conscious effort. And sex education has never also been good enough. So we then have even early messages really focusing on the reproductive side of sex, but none of the rest of it. And that doesn't equip us to know how to have these conversations either. So we, again, we have this, this gap, this black hole. And that means that people feel alone in what they're experiencing. They don't know how to change it. They don't know how to get the confidence to do something about it. And the isolation that they feel then causes more difficulties or more problems. And with relationships, we've got two people. <laughs> so it's two people's experiences of that. 
It's so funny, isn't it? Because I actually remember vividly where I was when I found out that women could orgasm. And I think I was about 13 and one of the boys had seen it in FHM. And I was like, no way. And it was on, I, I was like shocked because I was like, this doesn't fit the narrative of anything that we've been taught. And I was like, what? So tadpoles come out of our vaginas? And then we, we were like, <laughs> he was like I don't know I don't know and I was like but what's the point in that in my mind it was like orgasms were to make sperm which was to make babies like there was nothing else about sex and I suppose as well with kind of like the way sex is portrayed in films or it's definitely in porn it's kind of through this real male gaze isn't it so then when you kind of have sex a lot of the time in heterosexual relationships as a woman, it's very much about, oh, is the man happy? Is the man happy? Are they okay? So then I suppose when when you're pregnant or after, after having a baby, it's suddenly much more about like, am I okay? <laughs> like for yeah. me anyway, because it's suddenly like, I don't even know if my stitches have healed. I'm terrified. Like how am I meant to how am I meant to do it I'm actually I don't even know where to begin with like talking about this with you because I mean it I feel like the it kind of begins with pregnancy really doesn't it Mm, it does and I think and one of the things that I remember someone saying to me is they were like there's only one kind of mention of sex in the book you know what to expect when you're expecting and it's in the section for men and I think that even when you think about stuff like that you're thinking okay so where's all the advice for for me, the one that's been through, if you had your child yourself, you know, rather than something through something like surrogacy, you know, where where is the advice for me on how my body might feel different, on the changes that I might have experienced, on the hormonal changes, the effect that they may have? You know, one thing that we massively, massively see is, I think, detrimental is when women are breastfeeding, they have a reduction, uh, you know, decreased estrogen, and that causes vaginal dryness, which causes painful sex. Why are we not being told that fundamentally, mm. you know, as a basic, basic message, which is you need to know about this and something like a really good lubricant would help you because then when sex is painful, we think, okay, what's wrong with me? We internalize that. And then that becomes more of a problem for us in our heads. I've skipped skipped ahead. But when we think about pregnancy, we are hormonally kind of in a whole different place to where we've ever been. Our body is changing. It might have taken us a lot of time and effort or repeated attempts to get pregnant. We might have a lot of anxiety about our pregnancy, trying to conceive can be a real period of change for people's sex lives and it can very quickly move sex from fun or something that we used to do for fun and pleasure and connection to something functional you know how do we get the goal that we want out of this and that can be pretty detrimental to people's sex lives in itself so even pre-pregnancy and then pregnancy brings up kind of physical barriers such as body changing or the practicalities of sex but also a lot of women are exhausted they feel sick they are thinking about their change in identity they're worried about how their partner might see them they might see weight fluctuation fluid retention be more anxious about finishing work there's there's so much going on and one of the things that we talk about a lot in therapy is this idea of switching off to turn on and as we all know 
that's pretty pretty difficult in the modern world that we live in and, and the lives that we lead at the moment which are kind especially of in a pandemic <laughs> oh my god yeah <laughs> so I think that pregnancy is this huge period of change and what we also see is for people who might for example struggle with confidence or body confidence or a, you know a historically more difficult relationship with their bodies that can be really hard do you know what I think it was like for Tom and I I think it was like throughout the pregnancy journey came very different sexual appetites for both of us, which didn't necessarily correlate to the same time. Because definitely in my first trimester, I was so tired. I couldn't see the baby or feel the baby. So I was very protective and worried. I, You know, like you kind of mentioned, there is that anxiety, like, is the baby going to be okay? So the thought of doing anything that kind of felt that it might harm the baby, even though obviously they mm. say that sex doesn't harm the baby. But I was like, I need to protect this tiny thing inside of me that I can't see. Whereas second trimester came. And I think that's the best that I've ever felt in my life. Like I've never felt so sexy, so alive. So like my hair was great. My skin was great. I had so mm. much energy. So I was like, mm. bring it on. Like, this is, this is amazing. Like come at me. Whereas Tom was a bit like, but I can, but I can see the baby. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I think that, you know, that was probably like the, I, for us, the beginning of a switch in our relationship. And obviously when I talk about relationship, it's not just sex, but I do think sex and intimacy obviously play a huge part in a relationship. And then you have the actual birth. And I kind of had this thing in my mind that after six weeks, you're healed and you're ready to get back to it, whether back to it mm. is exercise or your normal life or sex or whatever it is. And I remember getting to six weeks and I, I mean, I had prolapse. I, I, I didn't dare touch my vagina. I didn't know if the stitch, you know, I didn't, I had mm. stitches and I, I didn't even want to go anywhere near that in case like my stitches ripped open. I didn't even know if they'd healed. Obviously nobody did a physical check. So then when I went to the, the doctor and they didn't do a physical check, but they, at the end, were like, have you thought about contraception? I was a bit like, well, I mean, I've got an anal prolapse, so that, that'll probably that'll probably stop me mm. having sex. I was like, if that's not good contraception, I don't know what it is. But it, I remember <laughs> feeling a bit like, are you asking me? It almost felt, and I don't know if this was me internalizing like my own issues, but it almost felt like, well, the man will be ready to have sex with you now, so have mm. you thought about your options? There was no how are you doing? And also a big switch for me, which funny enough, Tom and I would always have these like really petty arguments about was that my boobs no longer like felt like a sexy part of my body. And to try and explain that to someone, I was like, get off my udders. And that was, even yeah. <laughs> that was before birth. So it was just like this change. And even now, if he comes anywhere near my boobs, I'm like, don't touch my udders. Cause I I've been breastfeeding for so long and I honestly can't imagine psychologically ever being able to think about boobs or nipples as a sexual part of my body again. Mm. And I think it's that that can be quite a confusing thing for lots of women because something that used to be a big part of their sexuality or their sensuality has changed role, has changed function. And it, it can feel a bit a bit like a head fuck. It's a bit like, ooh, that's weird because that's for my baby and that's for my partner and that's for me. And that used to give me pleasure, but now it's pleasurable in a different way. And and I think that can be quite um, kind of confusing for people. But the the six-week check thing, 
I'm really pleased that we've brought up because please do not, if you are listening to this and you're kind of moving towards that time, think that the six week check is a green light and that you have to go home and have sex that night because it is a kind of generic checkup where, as you said, most people aren't physically examined and contraception is something that always gets discussed because that's on the list. But the reality is it's a rough indicator of that you, you know, your physical recovery should be a point that you could think about it. But if you are not ready, it is not the right time for you. And for lots of people, it won't be. You know, for lots of people, six weeks is so early. There's so much going on. Um, you know, I've got, I've got two kids myself, so I've, I've absolutely been there. You can think six weeks. I mean, I feel like it, you know, I had this baby yesterday and I'm in this complete, the kind of crazy time and I've got to think about sex again. And that can feel like a lot of pressure. And it's also really assumption-based that the only type of sex that you can or should be having is intercourse. And that's also a big part of the problem. So if you get to that six-week check and you're not feeling ready, talk to your partner about it because also there might be expectations from them. But the reality is if you say to them, you know, I'm really scared that this is actually going to hurt me, and I don't feel ready, I think your partner is going to get that. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Because I do feel like there's this like kind of expectation that society places on people. I don't know what it is, but it's almost that we think, oh, the man is going to be waiting, like, you know, almost like some kind of hungry bear waiting for his porridge, just like, bring me sex. And I feel like we can build up this huge pressure in our heads because we don't necessarily want to talk about it or bring it up but we're like oh my god they're going to be waiting to have sex and I don't I'm not ready to have sex and what if it hurts me and all of this internal dialogue but they're not seeing that and I remember when I spoke about it with Tom he was like oh my god I'm not ready either I'm absolutely terrified after seeing you know my my Mm. childbirth experience he was like I'm scared as well and so then I was like oh right so you know he wasn't just kind of like Yes. Yeah. And he was like, yeah. And it's funny, isn't it? Because you kind of think that, like, I don't know, they're just these like blue blooded men being like, if you don't bring me sex, I will go find it elsewhere. And like, obviously, Tom is not that type of person. And probably most people aren't those type of people. So I don't know where I'd kind of got that assumption from, whether it's, you know, from Mm. gossip columns or TV or rom coms. Or I don't know where that narrative came from. But it was such a relief for me to know that. It, it wasn't like that at all in our situation. And I think that quite a lot of, you know, if we're talking about different sex partners here, so um, male, female partners or relationships, because we also, you know, have women in same-sex relationships who will have had a partner kind of watching them go through childbirth, is there are a lot of anxieties. There's, I don't want to hurt my partner. They might not feel ready or, you know, I don't know what to do. Um, I don't know where I'm allowed to touch. I don't know what's okay. Um, And a lot of the time, I think for the non-birthing partner as well, it's quite an out of control experience. So they are the ones kind of standing back, watching a lot of the time. And they can see their partner go through all of that. And that is a, a big thing for them to have to see. And so the only way you two can 
know what each other's thinking or what's going on for each other is by having that conversation. But again, it's not something that we're taught about or taught how to have. Welcome to Paranormal Activity with me, Yvette Fielding, a brand new podcast bringing together people's real ghost, extraterrestrial and paranormal stories, as well as getting some inside details from those who study the supernatural. I'll be listening through your paranormal stories every week and try to understand them, as well as chatting about my own encounters with an occasional paranormal investigator too. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts from, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Acast. Just search for Paranormal Activity with Yvette Fielding. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to health care, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit UH1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. So how would you recommend for anyone who is sat listening thinking like, oh, I wish I could, I was brave enough to have these conversations. Like how, how do you go about having a, a conversation around a topic that you might be embarrassed or not used to talking about? I mean, I always say to people, use something like this episode or, I don't know, a YouTube video or a TED Talk or something. Use it as a platform to jump off. Like, oh, I heard this thing today or I read this article today or I saw this Instagram post today, whatever it is. Because you're kind of putting the responsibility on something else in that moment. It's not... I want to talk about this. It's someone else is talking about this. What do you think? And I quite often say to people, if you're really nervous about getting a conversation started, 
that can be quite a useful way of just kind of springboarding off Mm. um but the other thing is to say to your partner you know we're getting to the we've just had the six-week point or whatever and I'm aware we haven't talked about sex like I'm not feeling ready I wondered how you're doing and I think that one of the things that what couples struggle with a lot is actually it's not the lack of sex and when I say sex I mean intercourse here but sexual contact as well it's all of the little things the lack of attention the lack of affection the lack of a quick kiss a cuddle a hug there's little moments that we just lose in basically the carnage of having a newborn baby Mm. (laughs) that lack of interest in each other or attention to each other or desire in each other actually tends to be one of the things that has a bigger impact than the physicality itself it's the intentional bit and that's something that we can then think about and think okay so how could we do that and it might feel a bit like another demand or another thing we have to think about as we know you know particularly mothers new parents have a kind of never-ending to-do list but it can be a little way of injecting some of that feeling back and building what we call sexual currency which means that when you're ready to step back into rebuilding a sex life whether that's penetrative non-penetrative just touch-based sensuality-based that you feel a bit more ready or you feel that that gap isn't so big. That's so interesting. And also, I I did feel like a big part of the kind of loss of my identity was that I, f- I didn't feel sexy anymore. And it's not like before, before I had a baby, I was walking around like, oh, look how sexy I am. But sensuality and wearing nice lingerie yeah. and feeling confident, it was like a big part of like, of how I felt about myself. And afterwards, I remember like, you know, I, I, I went through in, incontinence and prolapse and obviously I, I, I am still breastfeeding. So having a baby attached to you all the time and the lack of sleep and I just felt so gross, really. I was like, I my body feels like it doesn't work anymore. I'm tired. I'm still six months down the line wearing my postpartum knickers. Like I was like, I need to kind of, switch things up for me like forget Mm. Tom forget sex I was like I need to like remember for myself I for myself like god I I I was like even just getting a nice I've got like really nice lacy nursing bras now from a brand called Cosabella and even that I was like I felt like a new person like even if nobody else sees my laundry if I'm wearing nice laundry I feel like I could take over the world <laughs> mm. and I think that's one of the things that we think about sex right we always think it's for the other person but what you've just given is the perfect example of how it starts with that side of ourselves I wonder if that's like a, a maybe like good advice for anyone listening who does feel like disconnected from sex or who has no libido is kind of trying to remember that it's like a self-care act and actually like if you take your partner totally out of it like can you run yourself a bath or buy a vibrator or you know get to know your own body again because that like for me a lot of a lot of the fear around sex was I was so scared of my body. Like, was it going to be painful? Could I still have orgasms? Like, so almost like being able to connect with your own sexuality again kind of empowered me to feel like I could be like a sexy partner again. Mm. 
And I think that's really important because, as you said, those thoughts are going through your head. And what we as humans do is we ruminate. So we don't just kind of have the thoughts and then kind of deal with them and shut them away. We, we kind of go over and go over and go over. And so what the best thing for you to then try and do is to take control of that stuff a bit and be like, okay, well, I'm going to try on my own. Even if it's just in the shower, I'm going to touch my body in a sensual way, not a sexual way. We don't have to masturbate, but just get used to the feeling of my body again. So I feel comfortable because if we move from comfortable to as a stepping stone to confident, we can build that relationship with ourselves again. But if we're without the pressure or expectation that not necessarily comes from our partner, but also comes from us of having someone else there. And what we can do is it can help us to feel like we're kind of working on that first stage of things on our own. And as you just said, um, you know, kind of that idea of still breastfeeding and being touched out, a lot of women describe being touched out. So it's this touch overload, you know, I've been through pregnancy, childbirth, you know, people have examined me, particularly, you know, people who might have had lots of interventions at birth. I had all these doctors' hands on me or sometimes in me. Um, I postnatally have been examined. I am having, you know, little hands on me all the time. I'm breastfeeding all the time. And then this feels like partner touch is another hand on my body, another form of touch. And actually, I just can't really remember what it was like to be just me in control of all of that and Mm -hmm. I think that in that way the idea of starting sex and intimacy again can feel quite overwhelming you just feel like you need a bit of your own space and that can feel quite invasive and that's the thing that women particularly often describe. I've never ever heard that expression before touched out and that is literally how I'm just listening to you like yes that is it and you know, Alf's 10 months now, I'm still breastfeeding. It takes me a good two hours to get him to sleep. And also before, you know, before I met Tom, which was only three months before we had a baby, I was single for six years. And I've realized that I recharge in my own company. Like I love just being on my own. And that's Mm. something that I, I really have struggled with is the now never, ever getting that time, you know. And so the thought of putting the baby down and then suddenly having to be intimate it, it is it that it's exactly that being completely mm. touched out especially because Alf ends up in the bed with us so he normally like is sleeping against me so I literally very 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 rarely ever feel like there aren't hands on on my mm. body and we talk about this this process of becoming a mother it's it's a term that is often used in kind of anthropology called matricence which is this kind of physical psychological emotional changes that you go through and It's something that we don't really talk about, but something that I was introduced to by someone who was on my podcast called Sarah Forbes, who is writing the book Mama Sex. And we did an episode on motherhood and sex. And she was talking about how we don't prepare people for matricence, which is this process of basically not being the same person as you were before having a baby, becoming a mother, in the same way as that we go through puberty. And we don't expect people to be the same before and after. And we shouldn't expect people to be the same and after through this motherhood process. But for some reason, we do. And if we do, we don't equip people to manage or adapt those changes. And no one's saying that that's worse or (laughs) or anything like that. But it's just this, why don't we say to everyone, yeah, of course, everything 
will be different in some way, but that's not a bad thing. And you can adapt and change and sex adapts and changes. And so does your relationship. And you guys, both of you as partners, shouldn't expect to be the same people or the same person. And I think there's something really interesting in just even talking about that. Do you know what? The term match sense has actually saved me in my like in the last like 10 months because the moment I heard it I was like oh my god it's okay to feel out of sorts and that is exactly how I felt like I was kind of trying to cling on to the old me and you know during pregnancy I had this like thing of like I'm I'm not ready to be a mum and I feel like there is a sort of like negativity around motherhood that when you give birth you're like I'm not going to be like that or I don't want to be like that at least you know Mm. that was my experience and so when you're kind of going through it and you're tired and you're exhausted and you're trying to prove to friends that you're still the same person but you really don't feel the same person and all of that and then trying to like ride out a relationship as well it it is it is it is so hard and like you know I was saying to Tommy the other day like I just miss us I miss us like Mm. who we were when we we didn't have to talk logistics of okay, I, I'm, you know, who's going to take after swim this week? Because I've got this at this time, you've got this at this time. I was like, I miss just like, and even like sex, I, you know, I miss us both not being scared that we're going to hurt. I mean, like, you know, I miss sex when it doesn't feel like you're losing your virginity, which just mm. is for, I feel like the postnatal experience because like there's just so much scariness. And that was actually one of the, one of the main responses when I when I reached out to you guys on social media to say like what do you want to ask people are like how do you get over being scared how do you get over this low libido how do you get over the pain of where the stitches were and how long you know when should the scar area not hurt I feel like there is just so much like fear and anxiety over it Mm. so yeah what what I mean what is your advice around all of that (laughs) So my advice is sex should not continue to be painful. If you are having ongoing sexual pain beyond the kind of initial discomfort and getting used to things again, please don't just assume that that is the norm. Go and see your gynecologist or a women's health physio. Women's health physio is such a brilliant resource for postnatal women. I can't recommend it enough. Um, not just plugging my own podcast, I did another episode with Claire Bourne, who is a brilliant, brilliant women's health physio and does a lot of talking around this area. But we paint, there are things, for example, like overgranulated tissue, which is when sex is very painful and the tissue basically is overgranulated and it can become painful. And you don't want to be pushing on and encouraging that and reinforcing this idea because sex is. I approach sex um, as a profession through a biopsychosocial model. So biology, psychology, social, all combined. If you are doing something repeatedly, which is causing you pain, you are going to want to avoid it. It's as simple Mm -hmm. as anything in life. We don't go towards or approach the things that make us feel bad emotionally, physically. it's It's just how we operate. So... If you are starting to get back into sex, the one thing I would recommend is a really good water-based lubricant. Yes, organics are top of my list every time for this recommendation. Um, They are all natural, all water-based. You don't want to be using anything with a tingle sensation or flavors, anything which might cause you any further irritation. 
and things like stitches will heal but scar tissue can be less elastic which is why some people for example feel that sex might feel tighter or it might actually feel like there's less kind of um, more resistance if we're talking about penetrative sex here and that's because that's um, what can happen when scar tissue develops so there are lots of things that you can do but the one thing I'd say is if it's intercourse that is specifically painful for you at the moment you need to take it really slowly building up arousal is really important which is the body's physical process of preparing for sex which is things like lubrication taking blood flow to the area oxygenation of tissues increased sensitivity but desire is the want to do something and that is context dependent and that context is something that we can do something about and those are as you said Ashley earlier things like wearing something that makes you feel good changing the lighting if you're feeling uncomfortable about your body having a shower before if that would help you to feel relaxed and help you to switch off using a fragrance in your room changing something centrally which helps you making sure that you can't see any washing is something that you know I've heard so many times you know I'm lying in bed and all I can see is the washing pile how am I meant to be thinking about sex when I'm thinking about everything I need to do the next day so we can manipulate our environments to do those things but one of the big things is baby steps you know build up to physical intimacy and sensuality slowly don't feel like you need to just jump in and have intercourse and actually what you may find is that if you're wanting to have penetrative sex again, is that it's something that you start doing slowly. It might not be the sex that you were having before, but it might be that you almost need to kind of practice for a bit. But the more used to it you get, the more relaxed you'll be. And the vagina sits in the middle of the pelvic floor muscles. If you are tense and anxious, that muscle group is going to be tight and that is going to cause more difficulties with penetration, more pain and more discomfort we want you to be relaxed that's really interesting you mentioned as well you know changing the lighting especially if you're worried about like body confidence I imagine that body confidence and sex is something that's so closely linked even without the kind of changes that pregnancy and postnatal life bring but is there any other tips that you have for people who maybe are listening into are struggling with body confidence whether that's from c-section scars or just the the all-round changes I think it's about you focusing on you because again the preoccupation with how my partner sees me takes us out of our bodies and puts us into our heads and what in our heads is where we don't want to be when it comes to sex and I think maybe communicating to your partner do you know what I feel more comfortable if I kept the t-shirt on I'd feel more comfortable if we turned the lights off or if we changed something or we I don't know lit a candle whatever it is and I think the sensuality bit that we were talking about before that kind of building a relationship back up with yourself is important here and what we are also saying is it doesn't all have to be super positive it's not all like look at my amazing body I love my amazing body lots of women don't feel like that and shouldn't feel under pressure to do so but we can appreciate our body and for what it is and um Jimmy Jamil talks about this idea of body neutrality you know I accept my body as it is. I'm um, appreciating my body for what it's done, for where I'm at, 
And I think, again, we we see that social media and the kind of media world around us sends us all these messages about how we should be. And if we feel like we're not keeping up, then we self-criticize, we make ourselves feel bad. And that in itself does us no service. So it's really for you finding out what works for you. And that that is the best advice I can really give here is don't think about what everyone else is doing. Just focus on you. I saw such an interesting stat as well that the average time it takes for couples to have sex after giving birth is, I think it was 10 months. And that actually, that kind of really took the pressure off because as you just said, not worrying about what other people are doing, I kind of had this idea that after six weeks, everyone else is kind of, you know, back to a really healthy sex life. Mm. And I'm still in, in, in my like incontinence pants with my nursing bra on and haven't probably showered since the birth. And I was like, what's wrong with me? But Actually, like because nobody really talks about it nobody really knows so everyone is kind of guessing that everyone else is kind of like at it with this really healthy like sexy relationship when actually it might not be like that I think a part of that is a part of the broader conversation that we don't have which is that sex changes we go through different phases different stages everything else in our life changes and we're happy to you know, talk about it, admit it. We, but for some reason, we expect sex to be a constant, irrespective of everything else that we've got going on. And what we know is that desire is context dependent and is responsive. So the bigger conversation here, which is impacting everyone, not just new parents, new mums, is sex changes and that's okay. Yeah, I love that. And also, do you know what? Kind of like going back to what you were saying earlier, that sex isn't just about the kind of like penetrative. Well, sex is obviously not just penetrative, but also intimacy is not just sex. And I love um, the five love languages, Gary Chapman's Mm. five love languages. And I think like for us, that's been such an important thing to remember that I know that, you know, Tom's love language is physical touch, whereas mine to be honest I don't even know what mine is right now I think I'm a little bit of everything but for me like for Tom I know it 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 goes a long way for me to even like give him a hug or even be like you look amazing or I really fancy you because when you might not when you might be lacking in like physical intimacy it's almost like that reassurance of like I really Mm. fancy you so he feels confident that I'm I haven't just like totally lost interest because I do think sometimes we can forget that they have their own sort of like things going on in their mind as well and they might be like building up a narrative in their own mind of you know why there might be a lack of intimacy or you know they might miss it of how it was before as well and I definitely feel like I've been quite selfish in my mind because I've been overthinking so much about being tired or exhausted or worrying about you know lack of libido or whatever that I forget that actually he might be going through exactly the same thing and he might be like I'm also really tired and I've got to go into the office tomorrow and I know that Al's going to have us up all night. Like, I'm not feeling that sexy right now either. Yeah, absolutely. And I think so much of my work in general is about this kind of myth myth busting and also breaking down assumptions. And so often we all assume because it's easier than asking, but that doesn't always help us. I feel like that, yeah, that's a really good tip for life in general, isn't it? Even like not in relationships, we we tend to always make assumptions. We build a narrative in our head that might be so far from reality. Yeah, definitely. And I think the narratives that we have 
and the messages that we have about sex particularly are very ingrained and the world has moved on quicker than we could really ever keep up with you know the sexual revolutions the pill being the first one in the 60s and the internet basically being the second one and we haven't updated the narratives to keep up with the changes that we've made so we have these these two kind of polarized i suppose worlds or these two things clashing up against each other and it's really important that then we say okay well what isn't working sexually because it's making me feel really bad about myself is how can i address that how can i change that how can i make this better for me more comfortable for me how can i address this in a way which isn't what i think i should be doing but actually what is helping me to feel better i love that i, I was going to say as a as a good way to end and a recap every week i get uh, different messages through ask mums the word pod at gmail.com email or on the apple reviews and this week i actually had a question from lou which i was gonna ask you but i feel like we've covered it however i feel like it could be a really good recap to end things so Lou says hey Ashley I'm loving the podcast I'm six months postpartum I'm feeling so anxious about any sexual intimacy with my husband I've lost my sex drive and I find it really hard to become aroused my husband understands but I do often feel like I'm letting the side down I just want things to go back to normal but I don't know where to start can you help I feel like that's the perfect question for you Mm. and could recap on some of the things that we've talked about I feel for a start like that sums up the experience that so many people feel. So I would really like to say that what what I'm hearing from that is that it's really not an uncommon experience. And so that, but also the word normal I picked up there, I just want to feel back to normal. And I think one thing is just really take those small steps and say to your partner, okay, you know, I'm not happy about this. Uh, you're saying you're not happy about this, but I would like us to try and work on this a bit. And the Gottman Institute talks about small things like a 10 second hug and a six second kiss. We can all fit that into our days. And those are little moments. They call it a kiss with potential. And what we understand about desire, so when we're saying, um, you know, I've lost my libido, is that it is responsive, we can trigger it. It isn't that we should suddenly feel turned on and then act on it. It's actually that we can create the opportunities for that to happen. And we can do that in little ways. So saying, do you know what, we're going to put the baby down tonight and then why don't we just go and lie on our bed for half an hour, talk, give each other our undivided attention, put our phones away, lots of eye contact, have a hug, have a kiss. doesn't have to go anywhere, but let's just have half an hour for us and then we can go and make dinner or rather than leaving it as well to the end of the day all of the time because that's the thing we often crawl into bed at the end of the night we've brushed our teeth kind of put our pajamas on we're winding down to get ready for bed so then the idea of winding back up (laughs) (laughs) but winding back up for sex feels doubly exhausting and I would say do the things that help you so for example like using a good lubricant knowing that that will help, knowing that that is a recommended thing based on hormones, that it is not about that something is wrong with you or that you aren't turned on enough or not wet enough. We're talking about hormonal changes here that are affecting how your body works. And 
I think addressing it with your partner so that gap becomes a problem and often what we see is that people then have to address it when they want to have another baby if they've had their children naturally um, or through sex rather than through IVF for example so if you think about every little kiss or every little hug or every little attention or reach out or handhold as a little bridge then we want to be building those bridges building up that sexual currency because when you then feel desire what you should hopefully feel is the desire to continue rather than feeling waiting to feel turned on to have to act on it actually we think about it almost the other way and the other thing this is the longest answer ever no it's great (laughs) The the other thing I'd say is self educate don't be afraid to listen to podcasts you know look at people like women's health physios see what they're saying psychosexual therapists there are amazing people talking about desire dr karen gurney claire bourne who's talking a lot about postnatal women's health in terms of pelvic recovery brooke vandermolen who is the ob the obgyne mum talking about painful sex lots of sex therapists it's information is out there and I think listening to other people talk about it in these kind of formats really helps because you're like okay yeah that's exactly how I feel or okay it's not just me and I think there's a lot to be said for those those things so that self-education bit for me is massive and you can do it on the go listening to a podcast it doesn't it's not like you have to sit down and read a, a whole book on it so I think feeling empowered and knowing that the most natural way to deal with anxiety is to avoid, but actually the best thing we can do is to start to approach slowly is really, really important. I love that. And it is is so nice even for me to know in this kind of world that we don't really speak about with sex and relationships in pregnancy and after, like even just from getting everyone's questions in, it's so reassuring to know that we're like, we are definitely not on our own. And I feel like, like I mentioned, you kind of, imagine that everyone else is like back to it and you're just like this like weird person trying to Mm. deal with exhaustion and lack of libido and you're on your own with it but there's definitely definitely like it almost takes the pressure off knowing it's normal and knowing that you're not alone and so I feel like that kind of like makes you less worried about it so um Kate I'm so grateful that you came on the podcast and I'm so grateful to everyone who um got in touch with all the different questions and if you have a question you want me and a guest to answer or if you've got any comments about today then please get in touch by emailing askmumsthewordpod at gmail.com or like I mentioned you can leave us a review on apple podcasts or you can even leave us a voicemail on whatsapp which is the number 07599927537 it's so weird reading out a number that isn't your own um but kate thank you so much i really appreciate it and i'm sure it's helped lots of lots of my listeners so uh, thank you to all of you as well for listening to ashley james first time mum parenting podcast make sure to hit subscribe or follow this button so you never miss an episode and if you're listening on the apple podcast then please, please leave us a review and five-star rating if you want, as it helps others to find us. And talking of spreading the news, um, if you think that someone would benefit from this episode, then please tell them about it. And I'll be back with another episode, same time, same place next week. Imagine 
the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 